Amen. Well, we have been in a series of sermons that will probably take us through the rest of this year. I say probably because we never know exactly how long we'll go. But we have pulled the handbrake, so to speak, to slow down and linger in Deuteronomy 5 to give careful attention to the Ten Commandments. So if you have a Bible with you or a smart device that will only be open to your Bible for the next 45 minutes, you can open it to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy 5. As you do that, think about something with me. The age that we live in is really infatuated with justice. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, If you, you pick a topic of debate, almost any topic, and there are lots to choose from, someone will try to claim the moral high ground by framing that issue as a justice issue. So affordable housing is a justice issue. Environmental stewardship is a justice issue. Preschool education is a justice issue. Raising the minimum wage is a justice issue. On and on and on and on, right? We've heard that. You've heard that. Friends, the the problem problems with approaching life that way are manifold. There's a lot of problems with that. Okay, for one, that turns every wisdom issue where thoughtful people may arguably disagree into a matter of moral right and wrong, right? So if it's all a justice issue, then agreeing with me makes you good. Disagreeing with me makes you evil. But here's another big problem with that approach. Do do we really know what, what all our vaunted cries for justice entail? What what exactly is justice? You ever thought about that? Well, it's a, it's a moral concept that, that only makes sense within a biblical framework. God commands us to practice justice because he is a God of justice. And practicing justice, one a definition, means treating your neighbor, all your neighbors, with the dignity God requires, a dignity grounded not in what that person in front of you has done or not done, but in the character of their creator. That's justice. Every person you encounter, your whole life, no matter what they've done or not done, done to you, not done to you, bears the image of God. And thus, justice means means granting and refusing to withhold the honor they are due by virtue of who they are, an image bearer of God, who God has made them to be. But think about this. 
If justice is all about giving someone the honor they are due by virtue of who they are, then justice involves a whole lot more than how you treat me or how I treat you. Justice begins with what all of us owe to our Creator. What are the four living creatures around the throne of heaven? Revelation 4.8 never ceased to say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What do the 24 elders who, who fall down say every time they hear that? Revelation 4, 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. The, the point is that when it comes to justice, here's where we have to begin. No one in the universe is more worthy or glorious than the triune God. And here's what that means, very practically, okay? That means the greatest injustice in the universe is not how Europeans treated American Indians. As awful as that was. Or how white southerners treated black slaves. As awful as that was. Or how Hutus treated Tutsis in Rwanda. The greatest injustice in the universe is how all of us fail to give God the glory and honor that is due his name. Feel the weight of that. Malachi 1 verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. If you want to contend for justice, friend, this is what it's going to require. Justice requires living in a way that upholds the infinite worth of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it requires. And listen, that is what it means to keep the third commandment. Deuteronomy 5 verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Translation, justice demands that God be exalted in all that we say and do in light of who he is. Well, how did I get there? I thought 
Verse 11 was just saying, don't do something. <laughs> well, remember, okay? I said this a couple weeks ago. We're going to keep saying it as we're parked here in Deuteronomy. If something is prohibited in God's law, the opposite is commanded. Okay? It's two sides of the same coin. So take the second commandment, for example, what Caleb preached last week, right? By prohibiting us from worshiping God for whoever, whatever we imagine him to be, right? That was the whole carved images thing. What is God actually commanding? He's saying, you may only worship me for whom I have revealed myself to be. Right? So think about it. What, what is the opposite other side of the coin, of taking the Lord's name in vain. Bearing or using or speaking God's name as if it's of, of little or no value. Well, I'll tell you, it involves a whole lot more than watching your OMGs. All right? It's Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. That's the command. That's the command. God, God is passionately committed to glorifying his name. And so the question of the third commandment is simply this. Are you? Are you committed to that? What, what's the testimony of your life? Would, would someone observing your life, friend, conclude that God is of little value or some value or supreme worth and value? What would they say just watching you? Well, to understand what it means to not, not take the name of the Lord our God in vain, I want us to ask and answer three questions today, okay? We're going to be in a single verse the whole morning. First, what is God's name? You don't want to assume we know the answer to that, right? Second, how do we profane God's name? And third, how do we honor his name? That's where we're going to go. Okay, so let's begin with the first question. What is God's name? When, when you think of a name, I think when in our culture we think of a name, it often is little more than a, a label, right? An important label, a label you want to remember, but, but a label nonetheless. It, it can be altered without fundamentally changing who a person is. So you may decide that um, you're going to introduce yourself with your middle name. Some of you do that, or, or a shortened version of your first name, or a, or a family nickname if you liked it. But, but whatever you do there, it, it doesn't change who you fundamentally are. I, I know a lot of parents who, who spend serious time researching the meaning of various names for their children. Like, like it is a big deal task. <laughs> Public confession moment, the reason my wife and I chose our boys' names is simply because we liked how they sounded. <laughs> it didn't go much deeper than that. At least their first names, Ethan, Micah, and Tyler. All we look for is, you know, does it mean anything horrible? And, and does it create any awkward initials? We thought about Braden Michael. If you know my last name, you know what that creates. BMW. That's not going to work. But, but our approach to their middle names was a little different little different, uh, we, we use family names like Taylor or Thomas to, to represent their, their connection to parents, grandparents, and 
and relatives. Their, their middle names say something about who they are and, and the family into which they were born. And, and the way we chose their middle names, it, it really hits closer to how Jewish or Hebrew culture in Moses' day, when he's preaching this sermon, to how they thought of a name. For, for them, a name was more than a label. It was even more than a family connection. Okay, a, a name, it captured something, it expressed something of the fullness of who a person was. The essence of their character. So, so take Jacob, for example. Jacob in the Bible, though. The patriarch of Israel. His name means he cheats. If your name means that, don't tell me. Right? But that's what his name means, which is exactly what Jacob did when he stole the birthright from his brother Esau. He cheated. But decades later, after he finally learned to look to the Lord to give him life, instead of always looking to take life from other people, what did the Lord do? He changed his name, right? He became Israel, or he strives with God. He wrestles with God. He looks to God for life. And, and the same principle when it comes to names is true in the way God reveals his name. Okay? It, it's a way of, of revealing, of capturing in a word, something of who God is. Think about that. In, in Exodus 3.13, Moses asked God a piercing question. When the Lord enlisted him to, to lead all the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, Moses asked the Lord this question. Then Moses said to God, Exodus 3.13, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord or Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You, you realize the question Moses asked anticipates really, what is his name? It wasn't, it wasn't a way of asking God, what do you want us to call you? Go ahead, just pick something. No, it was a way of asking, Lord, who are you? Who are you? Who, who is this God of whom you speak, Moses? And God tells Moses exactly what to say. I am who I am. Or I will be who I will be. I'm the self-existent one. I'm the eternal one. I, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I'm the almighty creator with whom all of you have to do. <laughs> that was his name. But, but notice there's more here. God, God says more. He's not just the self-existent I am. That alone would make him worthy of praise. He, he's also what? The Lord or Yahweh. 
the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. In other words, the self-existent one, he did something. He broke in to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's life. He called them to himself as, as, a, as a people for his own possession. Yahweh is God's covenant name, his personal name, the, the name by which the great I am revealed himself to Israel. And Yahweh reminds us, God, God isn't a, a universal self-existent spirit just floating around in you know, the spiritual side of life, pulling strings. No, he's the God who graciously pursues relationship with his people for our good and, and, and his glory. And ultimately, he's what? He's the God who did that so far to such an extent that he took on human flesh and was born as a man, the son of God incarnate. And, and his name is what? Jesus which is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. So so God's name isn't a label. It's not a sticker. It's who God is. He's the Lord who, who draws us into relationship with himself through the new covenant in his blood. He's, he's the Lord who lived and died and rose from the grave to give us spiritual life. God's name, in other words, is a revelation of his character. It, it's, it's an expression of, of who he is. It, it's how God tells us, this is who I am and this is what I'm like. Listen to my name. I, I love how Kevin DeYoung says this. The way to see God's glory is to hear his name. To know the name Yahweh, the merciful and gracious one, is not merely to know something about God. It is to know God himself. Think about that. God reveals himself to us by speaking his name. So so when scripture speaks of, if you've heard this, trusting the name of the Lord. Or calling on the name of the Lord. Have you ever wondered, well, well that's a little spiritual jargony. Like, what, what is that about? Well, it's not about using a magic formula. Okay? Or, or the right religious words. Like, like, if I get your name right, it kind of, it's like a cheat code in a video game. It just unlocks good things. No, okay? Trusting the name of the Lord, calling on the name of the Lord, that's about trusting and calling upon God for whom he really is. Because his name captures what? Something of the fullness, the essence of who he really is. Psalm 20 verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in what? The name of the Lord our God. Or Joel 2.32. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the way we treat God's name or bear his name or use his name or speak of his name. It's an expression, friend, of how we're treating God himself. It's personal. But that's not the only reason his name is significant. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) But there's more, all right? God's name is, is more than a revelation of his nature. Think about this. God's name is also our identity as his people. 
your identity as a Christian. Okay, what, what was true of, of Israel under the old covenant, they, they were what? God's people called by his name, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, is immeasurably more true of the church under the new covenant. Why? Because when God gives sinners spiritual life, who we are, who you are, fundamentally changes. And in Isaiah 62, 2, the, the prophet actually anticipates that. That fundamental change in who you are, Christian, he anticipates God's chosen people receiving a new name on the day of the redemption. Listen to this. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her. And your land married for the Lord, Yahweh, delights in you and your land shall be married. Think think about what what is he saying? What's he anticipating? That one of the sweetest works God does under the new covenant One of the sweetest privileges of being united to Christ through faith by the power of the spirit is that Jesus' identity, Yahweh's identity becomes our identity. Not in the sense that you become God. I'm not looking at any gods. <laughs> You're not looking at a God, okay? But, but in the sense that we're adopted into the family of God, right? As beloved sons and daughters, we, we receive the Father's name. We're, we're given his name. We bear his name. It's why Jesus commands us in Matthew 28, 19 to baptize believers in what? The name of the Father and of the Son and and of the Holy Spirit. So so God has given us authority as a church to speak in his name, Matthew 16, to act in his name, 1 Corinthians 5, to reflect the glory and beauty of his name, 2 Corinthians 3, because we are what? Called by his name, Acts 15. As spirit-filled witnesses, Acts 1, think about this. The great and glorious purpose of this church of us, Kingsway, is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. The glory of his name, 1 Peter 2. And Paul just combines all of that. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, when he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him. We bear his name. We're, we're, we're identified, as it were, by our relationship to him part of his family, now and forever. And, and I think in our individualistic culture, because that's the kind of world we live in, we tend to think, what do we tend to think? I don't represent anyone but me. Right? I represent me. I stand for me. I speak for myself. I act for myself. Don't you go tell me who I am. I don't represent you. I am the party of one. And it's about time you voted for me, (laughs) right? Friend, that's trouble. That's trouble. Because when you become a Christian, God grants you the incredible dignity of bearing his name. 
You represent him. You're you're not part of a, a spiritual people or a religious organization. You become a Christian, you become part of Yahweh's people. God's people. You're you're commissioned and empowered to image him, represent him, and show the world what he's like. So what's God's name? Our first question. Well, it's both a, a revelation of his divine nature, an expression of who he is, and it's our identity as his people. That's the answer. Okay, question two. How do we profane his name? Or how do we take his name in vain? Remember, by taking his name in vain, what what scripture means by that, to treat his name as something vain, is to treat God's name as as something that is of little or no value. Something marginal or worthless, like like a penny you see in a dirty parking lot or something. When in his book on the Ten Commandments, Kevin DeYoung provides a helpful list of categories here, some of which I'm including in the following. Let me, let me give you, uh, we'll go through six examples of this if we have time. <laughs> All right, first, we take God's name in vain when we malign his character with our words. Malign his character with our words. In, in Deuteronomy 127, if you remember this, from the very beginning of our series, Israel is is grumbling against the Lord. They're complaining to the Lord in response to a a report, they thought it was a bad report, that the spies she sent out brought back from the land of Canaan, the land they were heading to. Moses writes, and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. (laughs) Was that true? No, no, He, he didn't. Yahweh didn't rescue Israel because he hated her. He rescued Israel because he loved her. That was a total lie. But do you realize that's what unbelief does? That's what it always does. Unbelief embraces a lie about the character of God. Unbelief says he is not sovereign. He is not loving. And he's certainly not wise. I know. And then uses that belief to justify our anger toward him or our rejection of his authority. And that's, that's a violation of the third commandment, friends. Why? Because, because we're taking his name in vain. We're, we're treating God's name, who he is, as if it is of little worth. Or value. Second, we take God's name in vain when we denigrate his character with our actions. So we can malign his character with our words. We can denigrate his character with our actions. That is what the Lord puts his finger on in Ezekiel 36. When he describes Israel as profaning, maybe you've heard that word, making light of, dragging through the gutter, profaning his name among the nations. Well, how did Israel do that? Well, it's simple. She was called by God's name. 
God gave her his name. You're my people. You're you're my chosen ambassador of blessing to the nations. And what did she do? She refused to obey Yahweh's word. Right? She she spurned his authority and her identity as his people. So through through hypocritical worship, through shameless idolatry, through, through economic exploitation, through sexual perversion, all the persistent patterns of sin in Israel's national life, they lied about what it meant to be God's people. And think about this. Ultimately, this was the bigger issue. Her actions lied about the character of the God she represented and whose name she bore. Her her actions, as it were, they said something to the nations around her. They said this whole like being God's people thing, this, this Yahweh thing, He's no different than every other pagan deity that you worship. And that's why we look no different than all of you. In fact, we can't wait to be more like you. We need to feel the weight of this, friend. If, if, if you're a Christian, you bear the name of Jesus. All the time. Not just when you, when you wear a necklace with a cross on it, or you, or you show up at church on Sunday, or, you know, somebody says, hey, are you a Christian? You're like, well, no, well, no, no, you're asking uh, I am. You know, it's like, no, all the time you bear the name of Jesus. And whenever you do something that that rejects the authority of God or steps out of line with God's word, what are you doing? You're taking his name in vain. You're, You're saying through the way that you live, that God is not worthy of being trusted or obeyed. You're you're saying something or someone is better than him. All sin does that. And and I bring this up because I think we tend to narrow the impact of the things we do wrong to the people who get hurt. You know what I'm talking about? When in reality, the, the one who is most affected, most grieved, most harmed by our sin is always the Lord himself. In every situation, why? Because it is his goodness our sin rejects, his wisdom our sin questions, and his love our sin denies. Think about King David. You want an illustration of this? What what did David say after he committed adultery with Bathsheba? And on the side, murdered her husband Uriah. Psalm 51.4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Say, what? <laughs> He's an editor. <laughs> it's like, um, how could you say that? Didn't you sin against Bathsheba and Uriah and the entire family? Right? I mean, he certainly did. That, that's clear. That's in the text. But, but why would David say, Psalm 51, 4, against you, you only have I sinned? Because he knows that the horizontal injustice he has committed pales in comparison to the vertical injustice that he has committed. Because he dishonored Yahweh. He, he profaned God's name. He, he disobeyed God's word. How did David profane God's name, you say? Well, David's adultery said, Lord, your name is not good. The wife Abigail you have given me, not enough. David's murder said, Lord, your name is not just. I can avoid 
the consequences of my actions through human cunning and deceit. And so, and so instead of upholding and, and honoring the Lord's name, David profaned his name. You know, to which we say as 21st century cultured Americans, but no one got hurt. I mean, Uriah, oh well. <laughs> What's the big deal? Everybody was consenting. Friend, that's not the question that distinguishes right from wrong in this universe. Mutual consent is not the arbiter that separates moral right from moral wrong. Here's the question. As one who bears God's image, are my actions upholding the beauty and worth of my creator? That's the question, okay? Is the way I'm living declaring the glorious truth of who he is or is it not? Because you take God's name in vain whenever you denigrate his character with your actions. It's that big. Third, we take God's name in vain whenever we co-opt his authority for our purposes. What do I mean by this? How we love, (laughs) we love to do this, to take our ideas and our preferences and our plans and our desires and tack on the name of the Lord to them to justify doing whatever the heck we want to do. You with me? Okay, what's it sound like? God told me to get a divorce. God released me to look for a new church. God told me I should start a new business. We're using his name as a trump card. That's... That silences anyone who would dare to even question the wisdom of my actions. Right? Or, or qualifiers necessary. Or, is it ever appropriate to start a new business? Yes. Are there biblical reasons to pursue membership in a different church? Sure. Are there situations where there are biblical grounds for divorce? Absolutely. But it might be from the Lord and it might not be. Right? I love how Philip Ryken says this. A more serious way to break the third commandment is by using God's name to advance our own agenda. Some Christians say, the Lord told me to do this. Or worse, they say, the Lord told me to tell you to do this. Right? This is false prophecy. God has already said whatever he needs to say to us in his word. Of course, there's also an inward leading of the Holy Spirit, but this is only an inward leading and it should not be misrepresented as an authoritative word from God, period. I think we get that, so let's keep moving. Fourth, we we take God's name in vain. By using it in a flippant way. So saying God or Jesus Christ is a curse word. 
It takes what is holy and just drags it through the cesspool of sinful anger. Saying, oh my God, to express surprise or excitement is similar. It it treats the Lord's name as a casual thing, friend, a, a mere expression or exclamation that, that through its very repetition just undermines the reverence that he deserves. Fifth, we take God's name in vain by, by using it in a thoughtless way. Thoughtless way. Think about how easy it is to, to sing songs on Sunday morning and just mindlessly say all those words. God's name over and over and over again giving no thought to to who he actually is. We're saying his name with our mouth, but but there's no awe in our hearts. What are we doing when we do that? We're we're treating God's name as a thing of little value, minor worth, no awe. Or, Or think about how often we repeat God's name in our prayers in a mindless way. You know, it's like, Father God, we just thank you, Lord God, because Jesus God, you're so amazing, Holy Spirit. It's like, what am I doing? <laughs> you, ever, you ever heard somebody pray and just thought, <clears throat> I, we turn his name into spiritual jargon, right? It just becomes this religious speech. And, and, it, and if you have prayed over the course of your Christian life like that, I'm not, I don't say that to condemn you, but, but to provoke you, friend, God cares about how you use his name. May may there be nothing flippant or thoughtless about the way we do it. Jesus warns us about this. Matthew 6, 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words in God, Jesus, Father, Bibles. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father In heaven, hallowed be your name. Not vain, not worthless, not of little weight or value. Holy, honored, esteemed, magnified be your name. Finally, we take God's name in vain by using it in a deceitful way. A deceitful way. If if you lie, friend, under oath in a court of law, or you say to somebody, I swear to God, I'm telling the truth. When you're not telling the truth, you are tossing God's name in the gutter. And I want you to remember, it's, it's not a label, okay? That's the whole point. It's personal. It's personal, which is why the third commandment, please hear this, is not about playing spiritual word police. Oh, I heard an OMG, boom, commandment buster. You know, it's, no, the third commandment, what is it really about? It's about the orientation of your heart toward the worth and weight of God. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. To revere his name is to honor God. It's personal. To profane his name is to dishonor God. 
It's personal. And, and we, we take the name of the Lord in vain whenever we speak or act in all of our life in a way that is unworthy of his name. That's the answer to our second question. So finally, now that we're duly convicted, <laughs> how should we honor God's name? How do we honor his name? Well, look at back at Deuteronomy 5 verse 11. We've been camped in the first half. Let's think about the second part. Because there's a sober warning here. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What's the warning? That God takes the way we treat his name very seriously. God himself does. Not just the preacher on stage or your parents or the church. God takes that seriously because who he is is not a light thing in God's eyes. And he promises that he's not going to overlook or ignore or, or, or turn a blind eye to those who fail to uphold the dignity and honor of his name. So what does it look like to honor God's name? What are we after with that? What does it look like to bear his name or use his name or speak of his name in a way that upholds his infinite worth and value? Well, here's the first thing, okay? The first step in exalting the name of the Lord is calling on the name of the Lord. What's step one? You, you want to uphold the worth and value of God's name? Well, the first step in exalting the name of the Lord, all that he is, is what? To call upon the name of the Lord. That it means recognizing that you need someone to deliver you from the death you deserve on account of your sins. It means recognizing Jesus is the savior you desperately need. And it means choosing to trust Jesus as the only one who can give you spiritual life. Newness of life. In other words, honoring the Lord's name begins with confessing Jesus Christ is Lord. The obedient son. The crucified lamb. The, the, the risen king. He is Lord. He's your hope. He's your life. He's your salvation. Not your, your good works or your personal therapist or your self-improvement strategy. Jesus is your salvation. And as you do that, exalt the name of the Lord by calling on the name of the Lord, remember two things, okay? First, you have the incredible privilege, Christian, of representing Jesus in all that you do. That's a privilege. You know, illustration. I, I love the way, well, I, put it this way. I love watching the Olympics or the World Cup. Why? Because the athletes represent something bigger than themselves. You ever think about that? It's part of why it's so fun to watch. They, they represent their country. They represent their people. They, 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 and it really affects them, at least a lot of them. They, they feel the weight of that. The, the post-game interviews are just a little bit different. <laughs> they, they don't talk about themselves quite so much. They talk about Team USA or Team Brazil or, or Team Korea. Christian, you have the unspeakable privilege of representing the King of Kings. Do you think about that? He's called you by name. You are called by his name, which means 
wherever you go, whatever you're doing, you always represent Jesus. So when you call your first client tomorrow morning, you represent Jesus. When you see your first patient, you represent Jesus. When you dress your cranky, sleepy, I do not want to cooperate child, you represent Jesus. When you speak to a a store clerk who's giving you bad customer service or a waiter at a restaurant who can't remember your order or fills your sweet tea with unsweet tea, you represent Jesus all the time because we're God's ambassadors, brothers and sisters. This church is is an embassy of heaven. And so the the way you live, the way you speak, the, the way you act when everyone's watching, the way you act when no one is watching, either declares the truth about Jesus' worth and value or lies about his worth and value. And And at this point, I simply have to say, what I just said there would be a crushing weight of burdensome, impossible responsibility were it not for the gospel. So remember this. God is faithful to vindicate his name in you and through you. What's the first thing? You have the incredible privilege of representing Jesus in all that you do. That's amazing. Ah, that's a burden. No, it's not. (laughs) No, it's not. Why not? I mean, maybe it's not for you, pastor. You went to seminary and all that junk. (laughs) It would be a crushing burden for me too, my friend. Were it not for the fact that God is faithful to vindicate his name in us and through us. He doesn't send you into the world, Christian, and say, hey, you represent Jesus. Let's, let's pull this t-shirt down. Okay, ready? Don't screw it up. <laughs> no, no. He sends you into the world in the power of the Spirit. And it's the Spirit who, who causes us and enables us to what? To walk in God's ways, to obey his words, to represent Jesus. That's the gospel. Ezekiel 36, 23. What a promise. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, says the Lord, which has been profaned among the nations and which you profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, declares the Lord God, when through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Whose work is this? Yes, justice requires living in a way that upholds the infinite worth of Christ Jesus our Lord. He will be exalted among the nations. He must be exalted among the nations. But friend, listen, it is not ultimately our work. 
It's a work God accomplishes in us and through us by the power of the Spirit. And it's only through the power of the Spirit that we have any hope of keeping the third commandment. Now hear me on this, okay, as we wrap up. I'm not talking about letting go and letting God. No. Okay? We reject. Scripture rejects. God rejects the false theology that says, I'm waiting to obey until the Lord changes my heart. Okay? We reject that. Why? Because of James 4.17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So what am I talking about if it's not that? I'm talking about exchanging the anxiety of trying to make much of Jesus on our own for the joy of honoring his name through the power of the Spirit. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. What grace, friends, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So to Christian, what must you do? What do you need to do? What do we do? Choose to obey. Right? Choose to flee. Choose to walk. It's a real choice in a manner worthy of the gospel. But as you're choosing all those things, doing all those things, do it with a joyful confidence that it's the spirit who will empower you. And the spirit who will sustain you and the spirit who will help you and the spirit that will, will transform you every step of the way so that, so that the end result, the testimony of your life, not, not perfectly but faithfully, is Jesus is worthy of my praise. And Jesus is worthy of your praise. Because our life, oh, how we need to remember this. Our life is about so much more than just trying to make it through another day. You ever woken up in the morning and just thought, what am I even here for? Am I just going to keep doing all this stuff until I cash in my long-term care insurance policy and just move into Brandermo Woods? <laughs> Friend, here's why you're here. You are here to testify to the immeasurable worth of Christ Jesus, your Lord. That's why you woke up today. Because today is a day God saw fit to give you the privilege of making much of him by obeying his word and the power of the spirit. That's why it's worth waking up tomorrow too. Not because you know it's going to be easy. Not because you like all that you see within your own heart. Or in the people around you. Or in your family. Or in your church. Or your country. But by the grace of God, you can wake up tomorrow. And through the power of the Spirit, you can make much of Jesus. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do,
This is the third commandment, all right? In all its fullness, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. King's Way, speak words that uphold the worth of Jesus. Take actions that uphold the worth of Jesus. Whatever you do, wherever you are, whatever's going on, answer this question. How can I show my world right now the treasure of Jesus? Don't don't ask, well, what will other people think? Or don't ask, will anyone get hurt if I do this? Don't, Don't even ask, what do I feel like doing right now? Ultimately, or what do I feel like saying right now? That's a big one for us. Yeah, I know I should have said that, but I was just being real. (laughs) No, don't ask, what do you feel like saying? At least not first. Ask this, how is God right now in this moment this week seeking to uphold the worth and value and beauty of his name in me and through me? Because you've been given the family name, brothers and sisters. By the power of the Spirit, let's bear it well. Let's pray. Lord, I know this week you have wonderfully uh, opened our eyes. To see that not taking your name in vain is so much bigger than we tend to think it is. Father, we have, we, you know, you know our hearts. You, you know how quick we are to take your commandment and say, oh, well, it just means this. And funny, whatever it ends up meaning in our minds is rather keepable, <laughs> rather achievable. At least I get a B plus. That's what it means. Lord Jesus, this morning you've reminded us that that not taking your name in vain, upholding your name as who you are, as a God of infinite worth and value, that's a massive claim on every moment of our day. Fathers, your people, we ask you right now to forgive us where we have pervasively, knowingly, or unknowingly taken your name in vain, treated you, Jesus, the the name we bear, the identity you have given us as something of little worth or value. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and keep them open that we might see and know and treasure and delight in the worth and glory and supremacy of the name that is above every name. God, we don't want to wait till the final day to bow and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Would you cause us to speak that way, to act that way in the power of the Spirit, for the glory of your name, because you are worthy. Help us, we pray. Amen.